Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. be free. And this is Mike Fader on The Turning Point. We're here every Friday uh, streaming at 4 p.m. And of course, there are um, podcasts, downloads you can do. If you want to get in touch with me, join my mailing list, see what else I do in the world besides uh, talk on the radio with people and by myself. You can go to my website, Fader Files, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com. F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com. And, of course, I would uh, always welcome, I will always welcome any kind of comments you have about what you hear on the air here. Today we have a guest. We're privileged to have Les Leopold with us. Hi, Les. Hi, Mike. Um, Let me introduce you to people. It's been um, a few months since you've been on, and um, we always have new listeners. 
Uh, Les Leopold, who we're going to be talking with today, co-founded and currently directs two nonprofit educational organizations, the Labor Institute and the Public Health Institute. He designs research and educational programs on occupational safety and health, the environment, and economics. And Les is the author of Runaway Inequality, An Activist's Guide to Economic Justice. He's also the author of How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour, Why Financial Elites Get Away with Siphoning Off America's Wealth. And um, we'll probably continue to do that, no matter who's president. But uh, enough of my cynicism. So what, what have you been up to the last couple of months? I haven't talked to you since, I don't know, May, June. Well, I've been uh, actually trying to spread the economic analysis that's in runaway inequality. We've got a whole bunch of workshops going on across the country. We're training trainers. And I'm watching with horror uh, mm. the election this fall. Yeah, that's, uh, that's mostly what I'm doing. Speaking of the horror of the election, um, there's so many questions. And, and I know a lot of people, uh, I was uh, reading and hearing finally on various media that people are extremely weary of it. In fact, somebody attributed uh, the huge amount of early voting, which is some sort of record-setting early voting in the country, to people sick and tired of it and wanting to get it over with. Um, I mean, there are other reasons for early voting. And other people, uh, you know, are just morbidly fascinated by the whole phenomenon. And speaking of phenomenon, we haven't really, the last time we talked really was before the conventions and Trump was not the anointed one, uh, by himself at least, and his followers, if not the Republican Party. So um, uh, there's a whole lot to talk about here, especially also I would welcome your comments on uh, Clinton and um, Hillary Clinton and the whole idea of WikiLeaks and the um, the Russian interference in our political process, but especially since your, your focus is on um, economic um, issues and income inequality, let's just sort of, uh, I mean, I'm going all over the place here, but let's, uh, do you want to start out with Trump or do you want to start with Clinton? Because one, one issue with Trump is that his followers are, uh, and people are worried about this, although I don't really see the, dan- the great danger of a, uh, a revolution because of how he's talking about how the uh, if he loses or I hope it's when he loses the uh, the election will have been literally stolen and um, he would encourage his uh, followers to do whatever it is that they feel like doing and a lot of them have already expressed some feelings and as far as she's concerned more and more comes out all the time about the Clinton Foundation and her husband Bill and who they take contributions from and where the money goes so wherever you wanted to jump in on this. Well, I, I think it's best to step back and kind of look at how we got here. Uh, we've, got, we've had 40 years of uh, what academics call neoliberalism, and that's the, the regime that basically promotes uh, the free market ideology and encourages money to go to the top that eventually will trickle down, which, of course, it hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Part of that process was the vast deregulation of Wall Street, and that's where all the money is going, like 40% of all corporate profits end up on Wall Street now. And there's this incre- we call the process financial strip mining. It's been going on uh, since the late 70s. Both political parties have uh, uh, drank the Kool-Aid, uh, on uh, the idea that you should 
and promote at all costs the private sector and minimize the public sector. That includes, uh, I suppose, the uh, the uh, first Clinton administration. Let's call it the first Clinton Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They, were, they were totally into it. I mean, look, Reagan's huge tax cut had to go through a Democratic Congress, mm-hmm. and it did, uh, because they all believed that it was going to spur an economic arrival, uh, uh, um, revival. Mm-hmm. And what ha- what's happened, of course, is the gap between uh, the top CEOs and the average worker has gone from 45 to 1, it's now an incredible 844 to 1. Think about this for a second. Mm. That means if you can afford one car, a top CEO can afford 844 cars. If you can afford one home, they can afford 844 homes. I mean, it's outrageous. Or, or, um, or, or maybe even more precisely, if you can't afford a car and a home, they can still afford <laughs> 844 cars yeah, and it's, homes. It's, it's unreal. Yeah. Uh, it, we can't wrap our minds around the amount of... Uh, uh, income and wealth that's gone to the very top. Matter of fact, since since the cra- uh, the Great Recession of you know 2007 and eight, mm-hmm. uh, since then there's been a recovery. Ninety five percent of all the new income has gone to the top one percent. So you know you know that there's going to be a reaction against this. We saw the Tea Party, we saw Occupy Wall Street, we saw the Sanders campaign, and we've seen the Trump campaign. Uh, my late mentor. Tony Mazzocchi, who I wrote a book about uh, uh, in 2006, uh, predicted that unless uh, progressives built a new movement and new political institutions, you were going to see it happen on the right. He saw this coming, that working people were, gonna, uh, uh, were not going to endlessly follow uh, the trade union leaders and uh, uh, liberals into the Democratic Party uh, and get clobbered as a result of it, trade mm-hmm. agreements, you know, all the stuff that, that we, uh, income inequality, job loss, and so on. They were not going to put up with this forever. And they were going to go left or they were going to go right. And what's amazing is we've seen it happen both ways in the same year. Mm-hmm. So we saw do you call, a self-avowed socialist. Do you call this populism? Just to interfere. You know. Populism, Sure. But populism can take a right-wing form or a left-wing form. Right. All populism okay. means is that people want some, some uh, 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 say in their government, and they want some control over their economic lives. It's, it's not a nasty word. Elites use it as a nasty word mm-hmm. because it means that someone's going to challenge their prerogatives. So, so, it's, so it's, it's gone left and it's gone right. It can go, yeah, it, it, and it's gone both in the same year. Uh, so... Uh, uh, you know, Sanders, the self-avowed socialist, get, uh, nearly topples the Clinton machine. I think he would have clobbered uh, Trump. Uh, uh, but anyway, he got in a, tr- a tremendous traction. Now, here's the guy who's been saying the same thing since the 1960s. Mm-hmm. I mean, he basically, you know, uh, parroted my life. I, my joke is he stole his entire platform from the end of my book, which was written before his campaign was announced. And um, Who knows? Who knows? It, it goes down a similar track. You know, it's, we're sort of un, you know, radicals from the 1960s. We really haven't changed all that much. Mm-hmm. Well, finally, the world has changed, and people, people saw his, especially young people of all colors. Uh, you got vast majorities of, of all shades of young people under 30 saw it as a really good program. Then you have Trump, who speaks to a different uh, group of disaffected workers, sort of older uh, uh, white males, uh, blue-collar white males, mm-hmm. uh, especially those who are not in unions, uh, and and 
his I thought he you know he was basically a clown, but as you as the campaigns progressed, he's actually become more and more of a fascist mm-hmm. uh, in the true sense of the word, uh, uh, supporting you know authoritarianism, uh, liking a guy like Putin because he's an authoritarian, you know basically. Uh, looking down his nose at elections, uh, you know, uh, basically, um, uh, uh, it's amazing. He he offends the most basic principles of Amer- of American civics, which mm-hmm. is you know you got to respect elections. He's saying he may not uh, accept the outcome. Did you Attacking say, did the you... media, which is a classic uh, uh, right. a tactic of fascists to, to shut down a free media, even as free as ours is. Well, you're free, so mm-hmm. we do have a free media. It's free, uh, all right. <laughs> There's no money involved yeah, here. Right, exactly. Uh, uh, you and me both, buddy. So, uh, uh, so, so you see him becoming, evolving over time. You know, they tried to straighten him out to become more like a typical Republican hack. Mm-hmm. He couldn't handle that. And, he, and he's, he's, he's developed his personality from sort of reality TV star clown into really a crypto-fascist, uh, a person, and by that I mean someone who does not totally respect the rule of law, who doesn't respect democratic processes, and uh, as well as being, you know, racist, sexist, and all that. That I mean, that's par for the course in the Republican Party. Well, the other but, night, the other night he made, uh, I think it was last night or the night before, I can't remember with all this tumble of election coverage, but he made a quote-unquote joke where he said, uh, we should just cancel the election, just declare Trump president. Some, well, some know, joke, there, right? There, there, there's something to that. He thinks he's got a mass popular uh, following that's going to be denied by the powers to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's that's you know that's what Mussolini, Franco, and Hitler uh, believed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a bit more sophisticated than he he was about how to uh, how to build up their their armies. But, you know, the notion of using force uh, to get what you want and to be authoritarian, to not care about uh, democratic processes, he's, you know, he's uh, become more and more that kind of person. But this, again, this guy, Tony Mazaki, called it. He said, look, if the Democrats are going to be the party of the establishment, the party of the super rich, mm-hmm. and then sort of hope that we'll follow along because we'll get some crumbs at the table, uh, there's going to be a revolt. And the sad part has been that uh, the progressive organizations in this country, um, for the most part, tied themselves into that democratic neoliberalism to get a you know, piece of the crumbs, to get you know, foundation support. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've trimmed their sails. And uh, uh, they've missed both revolts that took place on the progressive side of things. Uh, they were not the progressive community was not there for Occupy Wall Street. Oh, that no. came out of that no. came from someplace else. And the Sanders campaign uh, did not have the major progressive organizations supporting it. It did get some key unions: the uh, National Nurses United, Communication Workers of America, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to name two of the larger ones that went that way. And some unions, like United Steelworkers, stayed neutral because they knew that uh, at least half their members. Uh, were going to go um, uh, for Trump, and they, so they couldn't go for for Clinton. Mm-hmm. But so you have a a, a uh, inability of progressives to form a true populist alternative to what Trump's building. So this is going to be very interesting. 
coming out of the election to see which populist formation, Trump or, or Sanders, uh, ends up building a vibrant organization. Because the, uh, the established middle, which is the, the Democrats and the Republicans, are going to get weaker and weaker. Right. Well, the, um, to build up an organization, though, you have to have somebody who's willing to stay in there and to oversee it. I mean, uh, these, I mean, Trump does not seem like that kind of person. Once He's got this fascist movement right now, and it's just something that uh, burns in front of him like some sort of temporary uh, hallucination. I don't know what he's going to make of it. Let's say when he loses, although I'm superstitious, I hate to say things like that. But when he loses, aside from, let's say, a bunch of lawsuits uh, to ask for recounts in tight places just to make more trouble and to keep himself in the news, I don't think he's interested in leading a political movement in this country. I mean, well, you know, um, but Sanders, I don't I know. Wouldn't, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rule that out in the following way. So, for example, mm-hmm. uh, right, one, of the, one of the democratic norms that he violated in a fascist direction, was saying he's going to, you know, he would arrest, basically, uh, put in jail Hillary Clinton, right? Lock her up, lock her up. After the election, he could try to build an impeachment movement against Hillary Clinton Mm -hmm. right from the get-go. And, you know, the Republicans would go along with him. Uh, A lot of them already, you know, saying that they're going to investigate Hillary from day one. He could actually build a groundswell support for that. Uh, uh, So I... I would not, in other words, that kind of stuff is easy for him to do because it's like the birther movement mm-hmm. or the, you know, go get the guys in Central oh, Park right. he who could, are innocent. He could it's, snipe, it's stuff he could, you can do in the media that doesn't take a whole lot of time. And effort. He could just uh, tweet. He could just and, do it. And he's got, he's got these Breibart guys and uh, he's got his internal, you know, operation who uh, do, does, do all the hard work for him. You know, and uh, he can just be, he can continue to pontificate and have a stage. See, the key thing for him is, Mm. is he going to have a stage bigger than The Apprentice? And he's got one now, and I think he's going to miss that one. So he's going to try to figure out, how do I keep a big stage? I want to be Mr. Big in the American uh, scene. I think he likes that. So he, well, that's that's a really good point. Um, If you just uh, tuned in here, we're listening to... uh, Les Leopold, and um, he is uh, the uh, founder and director of the Labor Institute and Public Health Institute, and also the author of, uh, you should get this book, Runaway Inequality, an Activist's Guide to Economic Justice. Um, yeah, by the way, I think we sold uh, 35,000 copies of that sucker. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. yeah. It's well, really, I mean, yeah. we, uh, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of these uh, um, and it's available, you know, on Amazon, all those places. But we do a lot of bulk sales um, as part of education programs uh, where we talk about all this stuff. And we've trained uh, oh, around 100 trainers so far that go out and mm-hmm. uh, carry the message forward. So we're trying to build the educational infrastructure for a progressive populist movement, something. So the question, you know, the other side of your question, which I thought was very insightful, which is who's going to lead the progressive side? Right. Uh, will Sanders... Uh, stay in there uh, and build something, and uh, it's it's unclear. Uh, I've talked to the, some people around him mm-hmm. uh, who are deeply involved in this, and it, it'll, it's the uncle- He's got he's got the best mailing list. Mm-hmm. He's got the deepest, richest mailing list to raise money for an alternative 
uh, movement. He, you know, he raised two hundred and twenty million dollars. He outraised Hillary Clinton, if you can believe that. Hmm. Uh, and uh, like Sanders, I don't care about her emails. I don't care about WikiLeaks. Mm-hmm. I know exactly who she is. I've always known who she is. Right. I, there are no surprises in there uh, to me. Uh, she is part of the neoliberal establishment. I'm not going to talk her down because I want her to win. Right. I do not want Trump to win. I don't want him. I, I, we'll, be fight, we'll be going backwards and fighting just to stay uh, even if we have uh, Trump in there. With Hillary in there, we have a lot more space to build a progressive movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the only reason I want her. So I'm not interested in talking about her stuff. Mm-hmm. But I am interested in figuring out what does a progressive movement look, for, look, at, look, look like? Well, how does it... How does it build a platform that appeals uh, to this virtually the same demographic uh, that, uh, uh, except a younger version of what Trump's appealing to? Right. The same people that came out for Occupy Wall Street, the young people that voted for Sanders, the working class people that are around the country that have you know uh, really getting the short end of the stick. Uh, you know, their communities are falling apart. I mean, it's it, it, it's astonishing. I mean. Uh, what has happened to this country as we've allowed the money to go to the top fraction of the top 1%. I mean, in terms of infrastructure, you know, the the lead in the water for the kids, the infrastructure is collapsing, the lack of job programs, because we're relying entirely on the private sector to do everything, and it won't do it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to create jobs in Lorain, Ohio, and, you know, uh, Detroit, and places that have been decimated. It's just not going to do it. Uh, and public-private partnerships are not going to rebuild the inner city. It's going to help developers, but it's not going to re- uh, create jobs. We have to go back to the kind of thinking we had in the 60s, which was, okay, there's poverty. We're going to deal with it. Instead of a war on drugs, we have a war on poverty. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's quite amazing to see how the war on poverty turned into the war on drugs. So now we have the, uh, instead of uh, putting low-income people to work, black, white, all over the country, rural, urban, uh, what we have now is the largest prison population in the world. That's also a piece of the neoliberal model. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a lot of work to do, and we have to build an agenda that really, that actually Sanders field-tested it for us. Mm-hmm. We know what he was running on has resonance. Can we build now the next step? So we have an agenda. I think we have a, a pretty good analysis uh, from all over that uh, supports it. Uh, Thanks to uh, the work that we're doing, we have the beginnings of an educational infrastructure to support it, like the populace had in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. What we now need is a national or- a progressive organization, national organization, super organization that brings all the little silos together all- from all across the country so that you and I could go to a meeting in Patterson or Pensacola or Pomona and be part of an organization that on a state, local, and national level Try to reverse runaway inequality. So these are these are things that have to happen on the outside. They're not going to happen. Let's say you know it gets to be election. It's election day, and uh, there's this democratic surge, and we have democratic governors. Uh, they take over the Senate. They take over. Uh, maybe they even reclaim the House or get close to it. All of this has to be constantly pressured from uh, a left perspective, from a progressive perspective, right? I mean, uh, left, to itself, right. Le- left to itself, the Democratic Party. Uh, no, no, sure. you can't. See, that, that's been the mistake all the way along the line, mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, when Democrats get in, 
these progressive groups start getting little uh, crumbs thrown their way, and they start feeling part of the operation. Some of them get appointed to lesser positions, uh, and, and, and they become part of this established order, and they stop becoming oppositional. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, right. We need an institution, an organization outside the Democratic Party that, stand, that clearly stands uh, for the kinds of things Sanders uh, was running on, and that actually recruits people, you know, go, uh, uh, gets, takes that mailing list and tries to raise money and sets up chapters all across the country. Uh, that's the kind of thing you need to do. And then you can engage uh, on, uh, in primaries and whatever to try to put people in the way the Tea Party did, mm-hmm. to put people in. I mean, look, the Tea Party basically took over the Republican Party right. uh, in the House. So and it's there's a, absolutely no reason why a Sanders-type movement couldn't do the same to the Democrats. Hmm. Unfortunately, in our country, it's hard to have third parties because of uh, it's winner-take-all. There's not right. proportional representation. It's not a parliamentary system. Uh, so it's tough. So you have to figure out more, a little more complicated strategies. But what you need is your people organized, and not just once every four years, and not, you know, uh, and not just around. You know, it, having just Elizabeth Warren running around you know, Congress, is, is, it's nice, but it's not the same thing as building a national organization. What we need to look at, look to, is uh, I'm fascinated, and I, 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 I urge your listen, uh, listeners to take a look at a book by uh, Lawrence Goodwin called The Populist Moment. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it describes, uh, uh, you know, it's not a light read, but it's really fascinating. It describes the populist movement of the 1880s, where there was a direct assault on Wall Street. I mean, small farmers, black and white, especially in the Midwest and the South, were getting crushed by uh, the way um, the Wall Street banks, there was no Federal Reserve, the Wall Street banks were controlling the money supply, controlling finance, and, uh, uh, and they, they were bankrupting farmers all across the country. Mm-hmm. So this revolt uh, brewed, and the way they built their organization was they, they had 6,000, they called them lecturers, 6,000 educators hmm. that went around the country that talked about an alternative system of cooperatives, of regulation, of public banks, of the kinds of things that Sanders, uh, alternatives to Wall Street that Sanders was talking about. And I'm sure they were considered uh, reds and agitators, right? Well, it's interesting. Uh, it was so homegrown, uh, and this is before the Russian Revolution, so that they weren't identified mm-hmm. as anti-American mm-hmm. in any way. So they, they weren't really red-baited. There was no way to red-bait them. Right. Uh, uh, and and, and I, I think what, what many, it's interesting, it's very interesting, people of our age, especially people not as liberal as you, mm-hmm. supported Hillary over Bernie because they were petrified about red-baiting because they'd grown up with it. They'd seen how it worked, how it, you know, destroyed anybody that was too uh, radical, mm-hmm. and so on. But you know what? People under 30 have no idea what you're talking about. Which is good. It, which is great. <laughs> and uh, what I kept telling older folks, including my sister, mm-hmm. uh, who I dearly love and has taught me virtually everything I know about politics, she supported Hillary because she was petrified that Sanders uh, would get red-baited and lose, and then we'd end up with a Trump. Mm-hmm. But it turns out the opposite is true. Hillary is making this a close race, much closer than it should be. I mean, Trump's a oh, buffoon, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Because uh, Sanders would have gotten all the regular Democrats plus half of Trump's supporters. Trump would be in the 20s, not, in the, not near 40%. He'd be in the 20s. So, so uh, with, this, with Sanders, there was this lingering generational fear that was left over about uh, he can't correct. be the standard bearer because he would be seen as uh, too red, too far left, right? I believe that's the case. Hmm. I believe that's exactly what uh, 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 the fear was. So you had older progressives going with Hillary because they felt like it was a much safer bet and that uh, no way would America ever elect you know, a socialist or a democratic socialist, whatever Bernie calls himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was a tremendous misreading of the populist revolt that was going on that could go either right or left. I mean, uh, uh, it, had Bernie started a little sooner and worked uh, uh, in the early days, he, he needed to create a rift in the black community because the older black community oh, right. was tied into the Clinton machine right. in the Democratic Party. The, the, uh, because they're, they're, they had, you know, neoliberalism is not afraid to integrate. You know, it's okay with them to have African-American hedge fund leaders and, you sure, know, right. corporate executives. And, you know, it's okay to have the top 1% to be in- integrated. Uh, so there were a lot of people who, developers, you know, local uh, heads of churches, uh, local politicians uh, who were, who were you know, running the neoliberal machine on a state and local level, mm. who were strong pro-Clinton. Their kids were not. Right. And get uh, working earlier on to get those younger... I mean, he ended up with uh, a majority of uh, under 30, as I mentioned before. Uh, I had the inside poll data from the... Uh, uh, shared with me from the Sanders campaign. And under 30, every racial category had vast majorities of... Uh, you know, approaching 70%, uh, 75%, yeah. which, is, which tells us that there's a future there. But it, it, it's very hard. It was hard to convince older people whose whole, whole experience was in the era of red baiting to imagine that Sanders had a chance. They just mm-hmm. figured, well, you know, he's not going to wait until the Republicans go after them. Well, go I, after him, it's going to be a disaster. I remember back in the sixties. I mean, if uh, what was linked to arm in arm was if you protested the war, you were a communist dupe. It was absolutely no, was no. That, this is a, yeah. a defining experience for look. Until the crash, I got to be totally truthful uh, with with you and the listeners. Oh, really? Uh, for, you mean yeah. you're finally going to finally? Well, you know. I, I look totally truthful. I don't have to tell you everything about myself. <laughs> But I can say that I was pulling my punches until the crash of 2006, 2007. Oh. That I was still had sort of the fear that I was out of step mm-hmm. with the American people, that I was too radical for America. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that 60s feeling that you were illegitimate right. because, you know, you were being red-baited all the time and people were going to, you know, attack you. You weren't a real but American. But once the crash happened, I said, you know what? I've been too moderate. I've trimmed my sails too much, mm-hmm. and I started uh, uh, letting it rip. Uh, and uh, it's interesting that um, the Sanders message, my message, and others started to resonate. Obviously, his much more than mine, uh, but it's the same kind of message of, of slamming uh, runaway inequality, and it sticks. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the first sign of that was, I, I don't know if you recall this, I was on with you, after uh, 
the book I wrote, uh, uh, Looting of America, about mm-hmm. the, the crash. Yeah. And I was saying, hey, where's the left's reaction to the crash? I don't see anything. Uh, and then, boom, we got the Tea Party. So then I, then I was saying, I was writing about this in Huffington Post and Alternate, I'm going, hey, how come there's a, there's a Tea Party? Where's the left? Right. Still nothing. And then, boom, Occupy Wall Street hit. In six months, there were 900 encampments around the world. Unfortunately, they were anarchists. They didn't know how to organize a permanent structure, and in six months they were gone. And you can't blame it on the police. They didn't have uh, – they had more money than they knew what to do with, but they didn't know how to organize. Everything had to be by consensus. I mean, I mean if you went to any of those meetings, it was oh, amazing. No, I'm, I'm aware of that when I, was, uh, when I was doing radio shows and talk, when I would even try to call them up to get somebody to speak, uh, it was impossible. We have no spokesman. Yeah, that's there was no spokesperson. Um, right. So, but, but so you know, it's do not know how to organize unions and such. They have to now step up to the plate and fill this vacuum on on the left. If they don't build an organization with Sanders, we're in trouble. Well, do they understand that? Do the unions? Uh, I mean, are, are unions just too riddled with uh, the well, old Democrats? You know. Well, the the unions I'm talking about are um, primarily the nurses and the communication workers and a few other smaller ones, mm-hmm. uh, old postal workers, uh, transportation workers. There, there's this nexus of five or six Sanders unions who understand something. But the problem with institutions is that they become – it's hard to get your head out of your silo because your day-to-day work uh, – <laughs> yeah. I, look, I, I, just, I talk to these leaders. I actually do. I I get to go to conferences with them, and I get a few minutes with them, like lunch or something. And I bang away on this all the time, and I say this in in the talks that I give that they hear, and they get good response. But the problem is that their day-to-day life is so uh, filled with uh, stuff that they have to deal with inside their silo that it's very hard for them to change course. Mm -hmm. It's hard for them to not become First, I care about CWA, and then if I have a little time, I'll think about the bigger movement. But it's almost like the movement has to kind of like surround them. Mm-hmm. Then they'll respond. So Sanders kind of got to their members, they responded. Uh, but I, I, it's, hard, it's hard for them to sit. What, I, what I've been calling for is create a table, get the large, you know, create a table and uh, get the largest uh, popular progressive groups together and unions and sit down and talk about how you're going to plan a new, a, a new formation for the future, mm-hmm. you know, an alliance, a progressive alliance. Uh, so they, they are thinking about it when we can get them to think about it. But the day-to-day life of all these organizations is silo first, survival right. first. Right. This is what my job is. I'm a union president. You know, people want to talk to me all day long. I, I travel all over the place. I don't have a lot of time to think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we're trying to help them think. We're trying to get them to consider this. There are people in each of these unions that are thinking. I, you know, I can tell you that. that right. uh, they are thinking about this problem, and I, they're worried, but they don't know where to go. They can't go into the Democratic Party deeper right. unless they have some, something together or they're going to get lost. Well, so the structure has to be built, and uh, I think I asked you this question. We've uh, we've discussed this question before when we've talked. Um, usually, or often, you need, and when we just talked about uh, the Occupy movement, uh, fell apart. One reason, or the main reason, was they had 
uh, a bias against any kind of organization or uh, any any sort of authority or triangulation. I mean, it was all. Uh, you know, it was all horizontal, and there was no way they could make up their minds. Also, I might add that uh, the media did them in as bad. I mean, the New York Times spent all their time kicking the Occupy movement in the head when they weren't ignoring them entirely. I'm just picking out one media example. When they weren't ignoring them entirely, they were uh, ridiculing them. You know, it was uh, astounding, absolutely astounding. So, you know, with somebody like it, well, you need a leader is what I'm saying. You know, to have this happen, you can't just... Um, I guess it's, yeah, it sure is grassroots. Uh, you know, it comes, uh, comes from the ground all over the country and people organize and people have to step out of their silos. But don't you usually need a kind of um, charismatic leader? Well, I, th I think we have two. I think Sanders and Elizabeth Warren mm -hmm. could easily be the titular heads of a new organization. Easily. Mm -hmm. They just have to show up. And all these other people would show up uh, Right away, and it shouldn't be. Uh, look, shouldn't I've been be. talking to the guy who's the political director of, you know, our revolution, which is fair, is focused primarily on electing, you know, better people in the next few days. So, you know, uh, that guy, his name's Larry Cohn, used to be the president of uh, uh, the Communication Workers of America, mm -hmm. and he worked. He was the labor guy, the labor guy for Sanders. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, it's unclear whether he's, they're going to go in that direction because you know he says it's 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 not as clean as you wanted less it's messier you mm -hmm. know he, we we talked you know quite a quite a bit about this uh, so something ha uh, we have the charismatic leaders uh, but the infrastructure around them has to be built and they have to believe that a national organization is not only possible, but desirable. Mm -hmm. I think they know it's possible. But, look, I talk, for example, a conversation I had with, with Larry Cohen was this. I said, how about to kick this off, like right after the election, we bring a million people to Washington to support a, a financial a Robin Hood tax, a speculation tax on Wall Street, to fund free higher education. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot... We know that that's a popular issue, the free higher education. Right. And he said his worry, he said, look, if, uh, our, we've talked about that, but if only 100,000 people came, it would be a failure. Right. And I'm thinking, come on, guys, there's no way only 100,000 people would show up for that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you built it, people, people are looking for an expression. Uh, there would be people who support Trump that would want that, young people anyway. Sure. I, I've run into young people that are supporting Trump because they just want to shake things up. Uh, you know, I try to talk them out of that, but they, that, right. that, that's where their heads are at. But, you know, we need something bold like that million-person march because then you build on the structure that gets the million people there is the beginning of your infrastructure. Uh, combine that with the infrastructure. I, you know, I know uh, I've run into a lot of pieces of the infrastructure for the Sanders campaign. There's some good organizations out there that are ready to rock and roll, but they, you're right. They need leadership. They, they need to hear from Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. This is what we're going to do. Hmm. Let's go do it. And we're going to, you know, have a big opening, you know, salvo demonstration. And you, don't, you have them come to Washington, but you can have them come to state capitals all over the country as well or congressmen's offices, you can do, you know, there's a way to make this so that you can get a lot of people to participate on a state and local level as well as a national level. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, they're not ready to do that yet, and, and 
in my humble opinion, mm-hmm. they are missing the moment that people are pissed. They were pissed during Occupy Wall Street. They were pissed during the Sanders campaign about the status quo, and they are pissed during the Trump campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to somehow uh, take advantage of this moment. I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. No, I don't know about you. No, no I've never but, seen uh, nothing, nothing like it at all. And you know, and it's the perfect. Remember when we first started talking? Your natural cynicism. I mean, you were doubting Thomas in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know, you couldn't see how any of this stuff was going to happen. But now you can see it, right? Because it's actually happening. <laughs> well, that's that's it, why I asked you on because uh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you've got that vision and you've got that enthusiasm. Uh, and well, I'm, the, the enthusiasm comes because you know I see it. It's right. It, it, it's there. I'm just look. I'm I'm not a powerful person. I'm not the president of a union. Mm-hmm. I don't have you know six hundred thousand people who elected me. So I can't make this happen. I can I can make the educational infrastructure happen, and we're going to do that. We're going to we're going to end up with. You know, uh, we're going to get up to a thousand trainers trained in the next couple of years. We will. We'll get that together. It'll be a hard-hitting, progressive program. We'll get that. But without f- being able to feed people then into a national organization, it's going it, it, to it's going to uh, be stillborn. So I can't do that. I can, but I see it. Uh, and, and, so- and, and and there are very few people that are telling me I'm not getting like. Oh, you're crazy. That can't be built. I'm not getting that from the top folks anymore. Mm-hmm. They're listening. They just don't know that they themselves personally can do it. Now but this, they know it ought to happen. But this organization also has to appeal or pull over a lot of the people who are in the Trump camp. And you're talking oh, that, about. I don't you're think talk, that's going to be a problem. Talking about. They're going to get all the young you know, people. Uh, well, young and, people, and, but the average age, I, I don't know. I, this doesn't sound right to me, but I was hearing some report from someplace talk about neoliberals or democratic centrists. I was listening to MSNBC, watching MSNBC, Chris Matthews, and um, uh, he, uh, he quoted somebody as saying that the average age of a Trump supporter is 60 years old. I don't, right. it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, no, I think, I, I think what's going to happen is we're going to, we can pull over into this progressive formation, the non-Tea Party Trump people. Mm-hmm. And the who Tea Party Trump people who hate government, the people you can't get are the people who would say, I don't want single payer. I don't want Medicare for everybody. I don't want free higher education. Those people who are like real fiscal conservatives have been mm-hmm. kind of brainwashed that way. You're not going to get them on the Sanders side. But the people who uh, want to get, you know, want to, uh, who are furious at Wall Street, who want to get money out of politics, who want to you know do something about you know corrupt politicians you know who are basically in the pocket of, of the wealthy? Mm-hmm. You want to do something about, about that? They're the ones that are going to come over to the Sanders side of this. Well, uh, where, they where, were there before. They'll come back there. Where? Uh, do the, where? Do but the, you're not going to get the Tea Party people. No, no. And I guess uh, past a certain age, you're not going to get people either. I mean, people get set in their ways, but uh, it's always the younger people. It's encouraging to see that there's a gigantic, it's over 37 states have at the moment have early voting. And uh, what they're seeing is what they, what people are calling an unprecedented number of young people voting. And, you know, yeah, I, wish you, that, yeah. I, I, I hope that's the case. I mean, again, if you put together a, a lot, look, if you have, uh, a vibrant state, local, national organization. It'll become easy to register young people to vote. Mm-hmm. That won't be a problem. Uh, the problem is building this kind of organization. There's a reason why Occupy Wall Street liked spontaneous combustion. Mm-hmm. It's easy. 
right? True. You don't have to. You don't have to think about your next move. You don't have to like figure out how you have a democratic organization, how you get people to make this, uh, you know, uh, agree on uh, uh, issues and uh, you know an agenda and strategies in a democratic way. That's hard work. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to just say, oh, you know, we'll just do it through the internet. It'll be spontaneous combustion. And what we've learned now from around the world is. Organization beats spontaneous combustion every single time. Mm-hmm. The Arab Spring in, in Egypt, what did you get? You got the Brotherhood, right. Uh, right. which was the best organization, uh, best organized group. And then you got the military, which was even more organized. Uh, what did you get with Occupy Wall Street? Six months. Mm-hmm. As much as I, I loved what they were doing, and I was so happy that they were doing it, we have to learn from you know, what, we have to ask ourselves why it's not there. Well, maybe, I mean, the issue hasn't gone away. Well, maybe the veterans... The kids didn't get bored. <laughs> no, uh, no. no. It, well, maybe it, the, it, the veterans of Occupy Wall Street. I wonder where, the, I wonder where the, uh, that was. They're like, around. It's 2011. It's not they're, that long they're ago. Thinking about, they're, they're not stupid. No, that's, five, uh, that's only five years ago. You know. Yeah, they're not stupid. Uh, they would jump into something new. Mm-hmm. They, they would jump in. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's the it's the higher level Bernie people that uh, I don't think have uh, uh, coalesced yet around right. a winning strategy. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Bernie does right after the election. That's going to be assuming that Hillary wins. Yeah, uh, that's even if I'm... she doesn't win, uh, he's got even more to do then. But if Hillary wins. It, it, it's an easier task. Well, like you say, he's got, he, he's got the he's got the mailing list, and he's got he's got everything that 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 we need really to uh, to launch this. It's a question of uh, you know when you know. Right, but here here's the here's the problem both with Warren and uh, with with Sanders. Yeah, they are not movement organizers. They mm-hmm. are elected officials. So their day to day life, they have their own silo. Right, they're going to try to move legislation. So Sanders has to make a transition. Look, he never had the ability to do this before. He never had the ability to mobilize the American people around his issues. Mm-hmm. He could try to bring up his issues. He could mobilize his own state around it. He could try to, you know, get on committees and uh, uh, urge his, you know, make his his speeches and urge. Uh, other senators to join him on different legislation, but he had to play an inside game. Mm-hmm. Now to be able to play an outside game, that's new for him. That's really going back to the '60s for him. Well, he doesn't he really had that chance before. He doesn't. So, have, he, I don't. It's, I don't see where he has anything to lose, but it's all up to no, him. No, he doesn't. And it's just a question of, of uh, comfort zone. Right. Uh, he look. He. I think I could see he. Uh, uh, he greatly enjoyed being up on the stage, moving people. Right. And you know what? I know, in my own little way, I know exactly what he feels like. When I get invited to these large conferences and I can speak to 600 people and i got, you know, 40 minutes with them or something, and they, and they jump to their feet at the end mm-hmm. because they really want it, you know, because I'm trying to recruit them into this mass movement and they really want it, it feels great. So I think he's got it. You don't give that up. Mm-hmm. You just don't give that up to, for backroom conversations and speeches on the Senate floor where nobody's there. Right. When you're speaking to 20,000 people, he's not going to give that up. So the question is, how, how does he get create that, that venue again? That requires an organ. He's got to have a message 
to go around to get people to show up again. He's going to have to say, hey, I'm here to build a new organization. We're here to fight. We're building a, you know, we want, I'm here to have you turn out to a, you know, million-person uh, march mm-hmm. on such and such. You know, he's going to have to do that. to get. He's going to have to have a, a vision for a new something. To get to have people show up, I mean, they're going to show up. A few thousand will show up, but twenty thousand aren't going to show up anymore, unless he has something big to say. Right. So, uh, and somebody like Elizabeth, somebody like Elizabeth Warren, she's. um, I wonder where she stands on things. I mean, she seems to be part of the mainstream. Again, she's not. You know, she comes from the academy. She's not a movement organizer, labor union leader. She doesn't know how to build those kinds of institutions. Right. Uh, but she says all she's saying good stuff, right? And she could, she could uh, with Sanders, they could uh, if they the two of them hit the road, they could turn out a million people for a march. I believe they that's true. It. That's true. If if they were the draw for this down in Washington, then people would come down there for sure. Yeah, no and doubt They'd about have it. to hit the road though. They'd have to like decide to do this. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm throwing this spaghetti against the wall to see what'll stick. And uh, you know, I've talked to. All those union leaders to say, "Come on, uh, start thinking ahead." Mm-hmm. You know, like I've been to some beautiful conferences where all all this progressive stuff gets talked about, and and but it, there's no and now we're gonna do X. There's nothing, mm-hmm. nothing. Uh, I went to a couple of them in June. They didn't want to say, "And now we're gonna go work for Hillary," because they didn't believe in that. Right. Uh, right. But they didn't say, "And once the election's done, we're gonna do." They couldn't, the oomph wasn't there. They don't have that piece of the vision. This is where I'm sorry this guy, Mazaki, is not around because he was brilliant mm-hmm. at looking down the road and, and figuring out how to fill up these vacuums and bring working class people to the progressive side. Not, not, there's a void right now, and, and Trump's filling that void. As far, speaking of Trump, uh, does it surprise you at all? that uh, the, the kind of reaction he's getting to his fascist statements and his encouragement to bigotry and violence, is that surprising that there are millions of people who seem to be uh, backing him up on this? I mean, in any given population, in any, if you look at history, in any historical population, in a place like uh, Germany, I, you know, Germany was so down and out after the war. I'll there. tell you what I'm surprised about. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm surprised that he has not been uh, totally delegitimized. Hmm. That shocks me, because uh, if any Democrat said one of the things that he says, oh, they'd be run out of town. Yeah. In other words, if a Democrat praised Putin, they, the, the foreign policy establishment would destroy them. Now, why? So, what's the difference between the two? It's a really <laughs> tough question. A good wow. question and a tough question. Yeah. Uh, I think the Republican Party has legitimized yeah. being uh, basically being crypto Trumpites. Mm-hmm. They've legitimized. Uh, they just do it in a kind of more covert way, mm-hmm. right there. Uh, all the stuff about Planned Parenthood and abortion and uh, the Second Amendment. And immigrant uh, and immigrants. Immigrants, yeah. uh, uh, you know, on and uh, acorn and on and on and on. They've, they've, they've done, they've created the uh, foundation 
for the fascist positions. What's rem- so that's one thing that's already been there. I mean, you had like, but but even saying that, it's shocking to me that uh, uh, that the entire political community hasn't turned on them the way they t- turned on uh, Joe McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very interesting yeah, another it's, interesting it's, it's book called McCarthy and the, Say what? I'm saying it surprises me too, but uh, yeah. yeah, I think well, I think well, you're right. I think the Republican Party is uh, wittingly or unwittingly uh, created a Frankenstein monster, and it's out of control now. You know? I think that's right. And uh, in the McCarthy, uh, here's how McCarthy stopped. There's a great book called McCarthy and the Intellectuals, and the argument made in the book was it wasn't populism that elected McCarthy because the guy the the researcher went back and looked at all the populist districts in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and they didn't vote for McCarthy. They voted for the Democrat. It was sort of more of the petty bourgeois and the ethnic uh, 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 different non-populist groups that put McCarthy in. What made McCarthy succeed, though, was basically the Senate let him succeed. Mm-hmm. But when he turned on the Army, when he started investigating the Army, right. Eisenhower came in and brought the hammer down. Mm-hmm. And then the entire elite establishment turned on McCarthy almost overnight, and he was history, gone. He was like literally run out of the, uh, even though he still you know, was in the Senate, he was run out of the media, run out of the Senate, mm-hmm. and he was like a forgotten man in a matter of months. But there's, there's in no... In a matter of months. He was censured, and, and that didn't happen. That there, there, has there. not happened to, uh, to Trump. And, uh, well, there is no there is no Eisenhower character in the uh, there's no Eisenhower figure right, in the uh, Republican uh, Party. Obama doesn't carry the weight of Eisenhower, and the Republicans haven't turned. Uh, you know, it, uh, Ryan and uh, McConnell and and the and the leadership of the Republican Party did not turn on Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's uh, it's scary. It yeah. is it is it is scary that Trump has that that there are that many people in America look uh, you know everybody talks about you know uh, I talk to my cab driver why well, two of my we have a limo service here in town mm-hmm. very liberal town but the, these folks don't live in town and and they're older uh, not college educated mm-hmm. Anglo and they love Trump mm-hmm. they love him absolutely love him there's nothing I could say absolutely nothing. Uh, the uh, the tax he's a successful businessman, you know. They, yeah, hate, right, right. they hate Hillary so much. I know that uh, uh, they can forgive Trump anything. The guy he's a he's a, a billionaire. I said, how do you know he's a billionaire? Uh, right. Aren't you? I, I asked this guy, aren't you a little bit upset that he hasn't paid taxes in twenty years? Uh, no, no uh, nothing bothers no. them. Nothing, nothing, nothing he says them. or does bothers them. So that's not your normal racism. It's more like uh, finally somebody speaking for me and all mm-hmm. my frustrations. Mm-hmm. That's what right. I think is going on. This guy is taking on uh, the whole world for me, mm-hmm. finally saying it like it is. And saying things that are absurd, but it doesn't make any difference. I mean, saying that well, absurd, we, we will, I, I am here for you. We will blah, 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 blah. Well, know? yeah, exactly. Well, you know, his line is, I did all this to get myself rich, now I'm going to do this for you. Right. But, uh, He's airing all their frustrations. So yes, these are white folks who feel like they've been left behind. They're not comfortable with immigration. They're not comfortable with affirmative action. They're not fun- comfortable with you know women's lib whole thing. Uh, 
So this is like they're, I'm hoping that the average age is 60, because these two folks that I was talking to, the average age was 70. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're right. just doing this kind of part-time as a gig, you know. Uh, on the other end. Out of the house. But on the but other it was amazing. No reason, no facts prevail. No. You believe those polls, they'd say to me? I don't believe them. Who do you think won the debate? Oh, that CNN poll? That's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's I know. no facts a matter. I'm getting a it's sign cool. here from the engineer. We've only got like two minutes left. So, but, so we stick with the other side, the progressive side. We've got we've to build this you know, from the ground up. We've got to link all these different places together, and that's where the hope of the future is, right? Absolutely right. It's just a monumental task. And what I go around, uh, I, try, I get people to see, one, how big the problem is that we're facing, that this, is no, this runaway inequality is built into the sinews of the economy, ain't going to go away by itself, needs a mass movement to take it on. Those are my two takeaways. Okay. Then I, but I try to get people to say, look, look at what you do day by day. You're in your progressive silo. You have your to-do list. You operate on your own. We've only got about a, about a minute left. Let me. Yeah, let me so we got to build. We got to build this broad base movement. We got to come together. Someone's got to pick pick up the marbles here with Sanders, uh, and 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 build this organization. I think people will come flocking to it. And there's never been a moment like this in the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. This is the chance to build it. Uh, Occupy, okay. Elizabeth Warren, Sanders, and Trump prove that the unrest is there. So we've got to capture. We've got to put aside our our silos for uh, a little bit and try to build something. That's okay. my sermon. All right, and that's a good one, too. Uh, Les Leopold, and uh, the book is uh, Runaway Inequality, an Activist Guide to Economic Justice. Where where can people reach you? Is there a place people can reach you? or Me? Yeah, uh, lesleopoldaol.com. Uh, we really can get uh, people bulk orders at a very low price because okay. we control the publishing of this. Uh, All right. Well, LesLeopoldAOL.com. Love to hear from anybody. And it's great working with you, as always. Okay. Thanks a lot, Lee. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. That's it for for this week. And um, Mr. Leopold is right. Got a pull from the left. It's got to be an established movement from the left. And it's got to pull past the Democratic Party, pull the Trumps, pull everybody, young everybody who's disaffected. It's there. It's ready to go. I'll talk to you next week. Well, I beg your pardon, walk straight in there.